Okay, welcome to episode 8 of Bastard Pastors, Leonardo da Vinci's favorite spiritual podcast. A different Leonardo da Vinci, Sebastian. We've gone through all the nights with him, but he is Leonardo da Vinci. Uh, there's got to be more. Oh, there's a lot. I googled famous bastards. <laughs> we, we, ran, we did Anakin Skywalker, John we did Snow. Jesus, and we did Jon Snow, and that was basically all I knew. <laughs> um... So today, uh, for the first time, we have a guest pastor. There's three of us, um, and Brian Ferry. I don't know if you know this story, but um, I always liked you. I always thought you were a really nice guy. But then when I fell in love with Andrew Peterson, you walked in the shop one day, and you had the beard, and I was like, you totally remind me of him. And then from that day on, I've always been like, oh, Brian's like the best person I've ever met in my life, because you totally remind me of... The Wing Feather Saga, which is one of my favorite things in the entire world, in which you and your children oh, and love family it. love to. But thanks for being on here, Brian Barry, yeah. local pastor um, of New City Presbyterian Church. Mm-hmm. And then, what, what were you somewhere before then? Yeah, I was working at Anderson Hills United Methodist over on the east side. Okay. As the director of student ministry over there for Ooh. five years. So you've taken the, the traditional pastor route of youth ministry as a stepping stone to grown up ministry. I like to say I got demoted <laughs> from youth minister <laughs> to or I like real to say, pastor. <laughs> I thought be it would be a, such a different thing, but I feel like with adults, I'm like, oh, it's just like youth ministry again, except for well, Josh and I laugh all the time. Like being a youth pastor, is a fantastic preparation for being a pastor. Well, yeah, yeah, because yeah. you're essentially running a little show. Except you were. But being a youth pastor, you could get away with, oh, I'm going to go play video games with kids. Right. I'm going to go, we're going... Well, yeah, I think so you can do, like, much. golfing we're now or something. Friend, or... But that's not as fun. No, the best thing I think... I can go drinking with adults is like you can get, high school kids. Indeed. You can and get on a kid or, like, hey, why are you doing something? <laughs> <laughs> not that, like that. You should say that better. <laughs> you could, like, reprimand or... <laughs> is that better? That's probably better. Uh, you could... Uh, hey, you're being stupid, or hey, don't do these things, and then the next day they still like you, whereas right, adults yeah. will hold a grudge and be like, okay, well, I'm yeah. just not participating in your thing anymore. And Kids still would listen to you as an expert. If a kid asked you for advice, a kid was going to process your advice. I've been mom- so many adults, I'm, okay, that's cute. <laughs> We're not listening to you. Second opinion. Third Second opinion. opinion third, I will find a theological person that agrees <laughs> with me somewhere. So, uh, a lot of our podcast has been just honest feelings and stories that Jason and I have about being a pastor, um, and I sort of like that. That was why I thought we should do a podcast anyways, because I was like, I couldn't find a lot of things where people are just, hey, these are the good things and these are the not so good things, just being a little more honest. Uh, so anyways, um, Brian, what is your worst day or worst story, or it could be funny, uh, of being a pastor that you can think of? Yeah, the last uh, five years or so that I've been at New City have been great because I'm the assistant pastor in the church position. <laughs> so the buck doesn't stop with me, right? So fail- <laughs> failures recently have been maybe less spectacular. There was a, you know, one time I forgot all the, all the times I forgot all the food going on a youth ministry retreat, which was pretty that. terrible. Um, I had a parent had to bring it out to me. Um, when I was at camp, I worked at a camp for a while. I put a chainsaw through a power line, which was pretty awesome. <laughs> oh my did gosh. it electrocute you? Uh, it didn't. The director said I could have been killed. <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> But uh, a kid broke his nose playing a game we called Bedlam Ball at a fall retreat um, one time. But um, uh, one of the saddest things, people get hurt and leave the church. Those are some of the saddest things for me. But probably the most spectacular failure I ever had was in my first couple weeks. You know what? 
felt called into ministry. There's two things I didn't want to do. I didn't want to work in the church. I didn't want to work with high school kids. I ended up doing that <laughs> one summer in college as an intern and then did that for about 15 years after that, worked with teenagers in the church. Um, and I come as the summer youth ministry intern. One of my first things is to, to, do, the, um, to do a canoe trip. And so we go, to, we, we schedule this canoe trip. There's about, it's only about 10, 15 kids. We load up in the vans, we go on the canoe trip and we're going down the river and the kids are like, oh, and we came with our marching band or whatever. We, there's this bridge and we jump off the bridge and it's really fun. I was like, oh, it's great. I love jumping off bridges. Little, I did that as a I'm kid. Little Miami? Yeah. And I was like, oh, I did that as a kid. I've jumped off bridges with my mom, right? Like that's just the kind right. of family we grew up in. So we come around the corner and there's, there's the bridge and there's people jumping off the bridge. So we pull the canoes over the associate pastors with me. Um, and so being the responsible youth pastor that I was, I checked the depth. Mm-hmm. I look around for hazards. Well you know, I was a certified You did more than I would have I was thinking, you know, I'm, I'm an adult You're now. Right. I, I'm in charge. I should right. have some responsibility here. So I, I check it out and I go first. Give it a try. It's great. super fun. So but the kids, we keep doing do this a couple of few times. And we're going to swim over to the side. And we look over. There's a park ranger waving us over. So he waves us over and he says, are you aware that jumping off bridges is against the law in the state of Ohio? I said, I had no idea. And he looked at me. He's like, are these your brothers? I said, no, I'm their youth pastor. His jaw kind of dropped off. He said, I hope I don't get in trouble for this. I said, I hope I don't get in trouble for this. What's happening? He says, well, you guys need to be cited for this. And and, and he said, but I'll tell you what, since these guys are minors, I'm going to let them go. But you're going to get a minor misdemeanor for disorderly conduct. Wow. $95 ticket. Wow. Minor misdemeanor for disorderly conduct. That's a good like, one. And, but the best part is uh, they weren't paying me much. So I convinced the church to pay half of the ticket. Nice. That's pretty good. So, yeah. so you have a misdemeanor. You a minor, misdemeanor, minor misdemeanor, for misdemeanor. misdemeanor. That is awesome. Yeah, From the park service. So I'm not sure. It's funny. We're applying to be foster parents. <laughs> and, uh, oh. they, and they said, they're like, we will fi- if there's anything, we will find it. So <laughs> put it on there. And I was like, well, that's a long time ago. But I was like, I better put this down. Right. So I hope that doesn't... I jumped <laughs> off that same bridge, yeah. but we didn't get caught. Who knew that that was a misdemeanor? And that dude must have been, like, low on, the, on his quota or something it's, to we excite you. Is that, is that, was it ODNR, Ohio Department of Natural mm-hmm. Resources? These guys are bastards. <laughs> <laughs> those guys... I got harassed by one of those guys. Full Green's big mounty-looking hat, yeah, yeah, the whole man, deal. Those dudes... I'm sure that they're really good versions Kids, get in the canoe! Go, go, go! Yeah, we got a really, really bad one. Wow. I've told, my wife and I have set the goal, well, I've set the goal of talking to my wife while she ignored me, of if I could do something to get arrested, like, for ministry, I would do it. Like, there's a law, like, in Orlando, they just passed a law that criminalized giving food to homeless people, because they didn't want churches doing, they didn't want homeless people hanging out in the parks. Right. So churches were doing these regular outreach, giving away food to homeless people, and so... This this one dude at this one church has gotten arrested like seven times for doing this. I'm like, let them pass a law in Cincinnati that I'm going to get arrested for giving out food to the poor, and I will call the police on myself to get arrested. <laughs> Only for in that. Florida would the police officer really be like, okay, I'm taking you to jail. No, you wait. You that, guy we're not far. Like <laughs> Cincinnati's conservative enough that that could That's happen possible. here. I would. I went to the Black Lives Rally matter. The Black Lives Matter rally. And was secretly hoping I would get arrested for... But I didn't... Nothing happened. Like, it was the most calm demonstration ever. Something uh, happened. We have a friend who was a pastor at Eastside uh, Christian Church. Do you have to bleep that out later? No. Um, and uh, <laughs> he took the kids to an anti-American rally. <laughs> like, uh, but, like, blatantly was like... Well, he Technically, it wasn't a youth trip. It was just, hey, I'm going. Do you guys want to come with? And then, like, my parents get real mad. And he got called into the elders like what are you doing and he's like well, to be fair with that friend that church never should have hired that guy yeah like, he was a known quantity they knew exactly they might what have they were got doing. on some kids too right <laughs> literally <laughs> 
Yeah, I feel like managing failure is a lot of what ministry is about, right? I mean, you know, and I learned that that first, like, second week on the job. Letter of apology to the parents. Quick. Quick. Apologize. Quick. That's it, right? I mean, you you know, it's constantly, I mean, it doesn't get much more sort of spectacular than that. There's little failures along the way and other things, but I, I, in a lot of ways, I'm grateful for that experience because it doesn't get more spectacular than getting cited with a minor misdemeanor, you know, <laughs> yeah, like on, from the beginning. But it's like, what a great lesson of right. like, learn how to say you're sorry right away. Right. Like, all of life is repentance, like Luther right. says. Well, so is ministry. Right? All ministry. Well, that was what's so good about youth ministries because it's usually like, like I remember I dared these kids to go jump into this. There was a, these walls of bamboo and you could jump into it and the wall would like flex oh, no. and like shoot you out. It was awesome. And this one kid did it, and he turns around like this, and a bamboo shoot went into his leg and oh. broke off. Oh. And I had to take him to the hospital, and I didn't know him. Like, he was there as a friend <laughs> of a kid, so I had to oh, call his mom. And luckily, she was super cool. But I was like, oh, I still would rather have those kind of things than, like, this. And ambig- with adult, it's ambiguously like, well, I don't like you, right. or I'm Quietly upset, talk, uh, like, talking about you behind your back, like, yeah, in subtle ways. That's, that's the tough one for me. Uh, especially mm-hmm. in smaller churches, or if you decide to make your church any anyway like a little more communal, you have these like inter tiffs. And we talked a couple of weeks ago about things that burn me out in ministry. It's not the work or the sermons, or it's the relationships because it's a lot to manage and handle. And sometimes they're so draining because people get upset and. And I feel like it's always my job to manage those things. Like, why are you so so? And you can't manage them. You can't. You can't like. Uh, yeah, it's the unresolvedness that's tough for me, and that was hard early on. I mean, in ministry, it's one of those things you could work twenty four seven, and there's still more calls to make, more right. to do. You always go to bed with more undone, and this sense, this nagging sense of. Uh, I I failed. This nagging sense of I right. didn't get it done. You just can't. You can never get it all done. And when those unresolved relationships, when people leave frustrated or leave hurt, and like again, I, even if even if I felt like I've done all that I could do, it, that's still yeah. That, I carry that with me. That sense yeah. of pain. I mean, you have hard conversations, and it doesn't go to the resolution. That's that's really hard. That's right. that's really tough for me. I could just carry that with me. And what's really interesting is I, we talked for a while, like how ministry is a lot of those things, like our job is a lot of those things and not a lot of other things. But then today I had a conversation with the guy who goes to our church and, uh, I was talking about sermons and we were talking about your sermon last week cause it was really good. And I was, I, when I sent, I sent something out to our small groups and I was like, you guys could just talk about Jason's sermons since everyone loved it so much, but like with a smiley face because we take turns. Mm-hmm. Um, but like people were like praising it on Facebook and and Monty's like, yeah, it was or the guy was like, yeah, it was so good. Um, you know, I'm just amazed that you guys can do that. And I was like, oh, yeah, that's cool. I was like, you know, there's some sermons that are really good, and there's some that's just regurgitating uh, knowledge that you read. And I was like, I don't like those ones. And he's like, well, why not, man? He's like, I'm never – I was like, because you can go read the book yourself. And he's like, I'd never do that. That's why we pay you to do it. I'm never like, going to do that. He's like, I'm never going to go read a book myself about – uh, the Bible, and I was right. like, "Oh, I guess there are other things that we do, like take for granted that we get paid for too." But. Yeah, I we've said this before. It'd be easier if that was our only job. Yeah, but we have a we have a friend that we went to seminary together with, and he um, he ended up at a fairly large church, and all he does is preach. He doesn't he doesn't have any relationship parts of his job. His job mm-hmm. is to craft sermons, to build sort of those educational parts of it. I think I would Doug Wither on the vine and die if I had to do that job. I'm sure he's got friends. I'm sure he's connected to people. Mm-hmm. But his job statement is to preach. 
I think if my only job was to preach my life, it'd be easier. Hmm. I think it'd be less stress. Well, it would be like an office job. It'd be like an office job. I would sit and read and outline and work. And but it's interesting because I, I, you don't. I don't get the sense when I read scripture and I read the New Testament. I read Paul writing to Timothy and Spirit. I don't get the sense that that's ever really an option. Agreed. That you know that the preaching is something right that is done in the context of community. I don't know that I could preach effectively if I didn't have a pulse of what was going on right. with the people. Mm-hmm. Now, I mean, I'm sure. I'm sure it's possible. Obviously, people do it. You know, they have a team of researchers yeah. who support their preaching. And the, the preaching, the presentation is, is fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Um, But for me, what it would lack if I was doing that, it would lack the um, brokenheartedness for the people that I think of. And, I, you know, not in a rude way, but right. thinking of the people who are hurting, the situations that they are in, the context that's going on. That informs, I think, ought to, at least for me, it informs... The preparation. Oh yeah, every sermon I've ever done, there's always like, oh, I hope so and so hears this. this <laughs> well, most of the time, it's my wife. Like, I think she should hear. This. Sometimes it's me saying that I'm dumb at something. Like, she should hear this. So she knows her. Uh, yeah, I guess there's, there's, there's the. Uh, I there's the I'm going to use this as a way to, you know, get at this person. Or there's no, the. No, I know like this get it, but I'm like, oh, they you know, need uh, this. Yeah. You know, they, they'll need yeah. this uh, thought or something. But usually, that person doesn't show up. And I'm like, I mean, I mean, that's part of the thing, right? Preaching is done in community for a particular community. Yeah, that's uh, with this, uh, it's sort of, re- have you heard of Bespoken in Cincinnati? I think so. Um, it's the Rebel Pilgrim is this cool uh, organization that does advertising, but they've started these storytelling groups mm-hmm. um, called Bespoken. And the thought behind it was, he's like, I don't think there's anything more powerful than people's stories. And I went to one and the whole night I was like, this is amazing. And we talk about all the time how a lot of, preaching a lot of times I feel like could just be better us organizing people's stories and you know what God's doing what's, sure. but then uh, but then that would get old after a while and people would be like yeah let's do something different because in our church they like to hear they're like well we don't know anything about the Bible and you guys do and so we come to church so we can hear something about it and well and for our church for for as much as we've deconstructed other things they don't want to hear from anybody but us yeah, isn't that weird? Hmm. We've had like get we've had we tried it for a while. Like, we've, oh, wanted, gonna... we've intentionally gone our way to deconstruct the idea of pastor as authority figure, and I would I would still argue that that's something we should do. But the reality, but is... that's the last bridge that our church as a community collectively, without like without intentionality, it's not like they got together and made this decision as a community. They're not okay with, or they're less okay with other people preaching than they are with Justin and I preach. They'll put up with somebody else, right? Even every once in a while, guest suck. speaker. Yeah, when we suck at somebody else is really good. They're like, nah. We still want you guys because you're the pastors. And so there's something inherently built into that position that's weird for us. Just because I'm awesome. It's well, if church is a family, right? Yeah, right. Like, you want dad. You don't want... Uh, you my dad or my mom? We've bumped through this. Your dad's um, mom. I'm my mom. I don't understand my mom. Um, she used to be the uh, stay-at-home mom anyway. <laughs> well, when you said associate pastor earlier, I was like, oh, that would be awesome to, to be like, oh, I don't, hey, I'm not the lead. Because neither one of us are the lead guy. We're both, like, equal um, as Some, far as, like. Somebody on Facebook, me, Facebook uh, tried to attack me the other day. Oh, I keep seeing a, that. An assistant pastor. But, like, the pastor. quote parts were the most important part of that, like, that they couldn't get around assistant pastor. Like, that was a right. made-up title that I was like. I was like, yeah. that would be awesome if you, like... Justin's in charge. Because we were... A friend of mine this summer said, he, he's been a lead pastor for a bunch of years now, and he, he sort of just been moaning. He's like, man, sometimes I just wish I could just go be an assistant pastor somewhere. Right. And, you know, and uh, and it works well. I mean, 
an assistant pastor, but really, I mean, Josh and I work so well together. Right. I, music is just my sort what of in do? my wheelhouse, yeah, right? You know, and I can preach when I need to. Preaching hits, so it kind of makes a really good one to yeah. yeah team. Um, yeah, we never had. We just did it because, uh, you know, hey, let's do this together. And then, but we've all because everyone has told us that oh you, you know, one it's not going to work out. There's, you can't have two people. And I'm always like, dude, if you were ever like, hey, I want it, uh, you can have it. And he's <laughs> like, no, no, if you want it, you can have it. It's like, like no, you take it. No, you take it. No, so, it's actually it's actually probably the biggest the biggest drawback to legend is that neither one of us authoritatively make a decision right. to move things forward. We would probably be much we better. Wait. Until, until other people are on board. And it's not just the two of us. Like, we've been trying to organize. We've got this team of guys that meets with us to plan our sermons out. And getting people's schedules is difficult. I'm not moving forward until that team gets together because I don't feel like I don't feel like I have authority to move things forward. I, if I just laid down a law, nobody would argue with it. But that's not. I don't feel like that's the way we're supposed to work. Right. Well, there's real value in consensus. Too. Right. I mean, I think yeah. if you get too much in that, like, I'm, you know, one person's out on their own making all decisions. I mean, that's troublesome right, right. as well. It's, well, and the Presbytery, that's one of their big strengths, right? Is that, I mean, from what I understand, ideally a person has to be called, a group has to be called, and then a larger group has to be called to the same thought, right? Yeah, Which it's, is, it's both cool. healthy and infuriating. The same thing, right? I mean, it's <laughs> because I'm sure Anytime you have that, that yeah, anytime you, whatever, Paul, everybody has a polity. You know, ours is such that really the local church is the is the dominant body right in our session our elders our leaders um you know but we're accountable to the presbytery so right. you know if, if anything ever went awry in our church someone felt they were harmed abused you know had a problem with whatever even the theology whatever they wanted to bring charges they could do that they awesome. could go bring charges and they, there's a recourse above us right somebody could go to somebody yeah, the other pastors who are part of the presbytery and they would weigh in and they would say well we hear there's somewhere for someone who's hurt are wounded to go, um, you know, but that means also that there's, you know, people that can do that, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, there's, we function by Matthew 18, you know, you go and you, you try to resolve it, but sometimes you need people outside of that. So there's, it's good to have accountability outside of just a local church. Um, I think that's, I think that's something that young church planners don't ever get is you're going to deal with hurt people and crazy people. And the younger your church plan is, or the smaller your church plan is, the more room you're going to give crazy to function because you're just so desperate mm-hmm. for people to be there. Like you're so worried that you're not going to be able to open the doors the next week. When we were meeting with a church planning group in Cincinnati, these guys had these plans of like, you're going to take every crazy person that walks in the door for the first year <laughs> just to get, so you know you have people there and you're going to be more was Like I remember the, the Presbyterian church I worked at, the pastor didn't hesitate to be like, leave. If you're going to be that way, just go. And it, sometimes there was something really healthy to that. He mm-hmm. took it to an nth degree that ended up being unhealthy. Yeah. But to, to be able to say to somebody, the church doesn't revolve around you, and we made a decision, and we have to go forward whether you like it or not, that's not an awful thing. It is tough because you want you want the church to be a place where people can come and heal. Right. If they've been wounded by churches particularly, you want right. your church to be a place where you're going to come and you're not going to get destroyed like you did at the other right. church. And so you want to have an environment where people can heal. But at the same time, if someone walks in and the first thing they do is tell you all the things that were horrible about their last church or how much they hated yep. it, you go, wait a yeah. minute. Uh, I'm not, you know, I'm not sure that this, the vibe of our fam- church family is going to be a place for you. If 
all you can say is what you're against. We do have an exception. I agree with you 100%. We have an exception to that rule, and I know she's listening to this podcast right now, who came to our church after having been part of the craziest cult I've ever seen. Oh, my gosh. And she stuck with it for four years. They abused her. Like, Like they would ostracize her and be like, hey, you can come tonight, but you have to sit outside the circle, and we won't talk to you. And she she would go and (laughs) sit outside the circle. I feel so bad. So it it is a weird place. And and the flip side of that, or maybe not the flip side, to keep going with that, we should also be a place that is more graceful and more willing to put up with you working through your crazy than your job is. Then mm-hmm. maybe even than your family is, right? The, the, the church should be the last stop where you have to push real hard before we have to say, hey, you can't be here. Because yeah. it's really easy to skip from place to place and not ever work through it, right? right, I'm gonna right, go for right. Sure. Yeah, I'm reading Bruce Springsteen's autobiography right now, which is fantastic. But he talked about like in, in relationships... Every like two years was the length of he could be in a relationship, and then he would just bail. Yeah, yeah. And this I, similar kind of thing can happen even in church relationships. You know, I can go X amount of years, and then I'm going to go find the next thing because it starts to get too real, or I start to have to deal with my stuff. Right. right. Um, you know, and, and Springsteen even said like other people started to notice it. it's been two years. It's not even time for you to check huh. out. You know, huh. and there is um, you know some dysfunction in that. And so if we can be a place where people can stay over time and work through those hard things. There's a there's a correlation story for that. Uh, the lead singer from Megadeth changed bands every album because he's brilliant, but he was such an ass to work with mm. that a band never made it through the album and touring process with him. Every album. And then he became a Christian in the late 90s, like 94. And their first album afterwards where he became a Christian, I think Megadeth fans like he lost some of his edge. I still feel like he's his sort of cutting as he always was but just he has this sort of Jesus bent to it now mm. but he had the same band for like 10 years after that like the mm. part of his part of his journey to Christianity wasn't necessarily that he stopped being angry politically or that his music changed because I still feel like it was still mega death but he was easier to work with and then there's this great he showed up when Metallica was filming one of their documentaries to apologize for the way because they had been in a band together mm. and he hated them his whole thing was driven by how much he hated them he showed up to apologize to them for the way he had talked about them and they made fun of him for because he sort of cried during like this thing. That's and sad. The, and it, as a guy who thoroughly loves Metallica, I was like, I, I don't know how to feel about this right now because really this sad. dude was this dude really Honestly, was honest with you. He did exactly what we would want. <laughs> and even even to separate it out from Christianity, which was driving that, he did what we would want adults to do, right? Adults, mm-hmm. regardless of your religious affiliation, I would want an adult to come and own their stuff and say. I botched it for 30 years with you guys oh, and they that. made fun of it. But they were going through their own stuff as well at the time and so I think that they've actually worked through that too. But that's a, that's All a right. tangent. Question. Um, so do you feel like, because this is sort of where my brain's been in the last year or so, like the role of the pastor in, especially in, in American culture, in our culture, changing, has changed, is changing, or do you feel like you know it's kind of always been the same, or or your role in particular? Like, what do you feel like? What you want to do, or what you are trying to accomplish? Is it is it something that you feel like you're forming new or different, or not? I don't know. This is sort of where I've been lately. Yeah, interesting question. Uh, youth ministry changed over the years on youth ministry, but in general, um, I notice a difference between the way that sort of our generation, if we throw us into generation X pastors versus sort of maybe a generation or two before us. I mean, a guy that I worked with, he straight up said in seminary, he was told, do not have friendships with people in your church. Do not get close to people. 
like you need to have friends outside your church. Right. You are their pastor. You are not their friend. And to me, that's so foreign. Yeah, I would say, how could I too. not? How could I not be honest? Right, vulnerable, authentic. When people now again, we value probably authenticity, maybe, right. maybe to a fault, you know, right. with our generation. But that is a part of pastoring, right? Is being in relationship right. with your people. Well, and if you, otherwise, it's just kind of a veneer, a, fa- a right. falseness, or a fake. There's a thing. truth to the more you're open and honest and, and vulnerable with people, the more they get to know you and you're not. Because I know a guy uh, from the African-American church and he's like, that's still a rule there. He's like, you don't have friendships down here because then they don't see you up there anymore because it's important mm-hmm. to be up there. Mm-hmm. I was given that advice on seminary five years ago. Mm-hmm. But, I, but I think it also was, I felt like that coming from that person, it was practical here's how you protect your heart advice. Like that you can only let so right. many people in and, and because leadership and they focused a lot on leadership, which is what I checked out of seminary. Right. But if leadership is the goal and not servanthood, if leadership is the goal and not love, then yeah, the leadership, the leader has to maintain and protect an image. Right. Yeah. Without question, it's safer yeah, to easy. not be friends. With it may be a little church. bit easier without question. Right. You know, you're not opening yourself up. Right. You're not as vulnerable. You're not as vulnerable to critique to people, you know, calling you on your sin. Yeah. You're not, you're not yeah. a vulnerable for heartbreak. They don't see you kids. They, not they don't say you break down. They don't <laughs> see you do things on a day to day where you're you like, know, but I'm sorry. that doesn't, that doesn't teach people that idea that all of life is repentance. You know, that right. like that we are fellow sojourners right. on the journey right. in process in, pro, you know, we're growing, we're not arrived yet. So I think it, it, it gives a little bit of a, to not be honest and vulnerable and be friends with your, your people in your church it gives people a little bit of a false understanding yeah. of what it really is like to follow Christ. Right? I think it's, so I've got, so I am obviously full in on debating politics in every atmosphere that <laughs> Are I Are you on find. Facebook? I, I do a little bit <laughs> on Facebook. Jason Wilcoxon, Facebook. But I've had this interesting conversation <laughs> with a dude who, um, not actually, he's actually one of the most like virulent person, it's a person I've ever, like just angry and yeah, I don't think this guy's real. I know that you no, he's, he's real, real, but everyone's like, it's but he keeps going back to this idea evil. that it is inappropriate for pastors to take political stances or to take stances at all on any sort of right and wrong. Hmm. And I'm, I the, the, my job is to, as a, as a pastor is to say, to, to self-help during the week is to say, here's to give you some sort of motivational right. speech, these kind of things. And it's been interesting to watch because I was sort of taken aback by it. And I was like, wait a minute, but what, there's this gigantic history of every good social movement that's ever happened in American culture has been driven by the church. Like there's, it goes through, and and you could probably extend that back all the way through most European history as well. That oh, there's a fantastic book called "The Book That Made Your World" by Vishal Mangalwadi. He's an Indian physician who was born in India, educated in the West, went back to India, and that's his whole case: is that the Bible is the book that made yeah. our world for yeah. all social change, and so, good and, institutions. And, and I said, and so what I said to this guy over and over again, it's fine for you to disagree with me like i'm not infallible i'm not i'm wrong all the time but to say that because i'm a pastor i can't take a stance right. seems odd to well, me. but I, he also says that i, I learned that the church as the pastor which right. i don't think is true either i had different points of view on things than justin right. has well and i was say i had to learn that from you because i probably would have been just coming into legend eight years ago whatever more on that side, like you know what I don't want to. I don't want to get into this because I don't want to have a stance that way. I can be friends with everyone, or I can, you know, I'm not polarizing because that was a big part of me at the time. I was like, I don't want to be polarizing. 
Uh, and I, I think I feel like I learned from Jason, like, oh, well, politics does have a lot to do with our day-to-day life, and there is sometimes, I feel like in this year is even more important, there are some times where you have to say, okay, this isn't okay, I need to stand up for this. And maybe it's through politics, or maybe it's through social action, but I, I had to learn that lesson, too, because I feel like I thought that, too. Like, my job, I meet with people, and I pray with people, and I just want to encourage people. Which is important. Um, right? Which is important, too, yeah. I mean, I still feel like silence is not acceptable. Right. right. That's one of the things we hear, uh, you know, from African-American brothers and sisters. Right, is that, right like, now. Silence is not okay. Right, right, right. You know, and, and, it, and you have to say something. And again, I mean, you, it, it's hard because you do have to sort of do this dance where you don't want to be so locked into one particular right. party or whatever so that anyone who comes to your church feels ostracized right. or isn't welcome. But at the same time, when you see something run afoul, right. you need to call right. it. Well, you know, and that's where I think what we are just talking about, being so close and open and vulnerable. Like, that, there was, what, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, I said something very political against Donald Trump from the sermon. And it came out of just talking like, I can't believe that we could support someone who does something like this. And I didn't say his name exactly, but everyone knew. And, but people know me so well that they understood where that came from, how it came about. It wasn't like people were like, well, you know, if I did support this or that. And like it, it, so I felt like that was a help for me to be able to be honest and open. And people were like, oh, Justin never talks about these things. This must be important. Because I was just talking about racism and, and how I feel like he is opening a a door for people who have hidden racism to let it out. And I just said, uh, I think there's places where the church, our church in particular, and our our American church, maybe even our Cincinnati church, is going to have to start standing up in places where it didn't before. And that may be one with with racism because it seems to be getting out of hand and crazy. And it's been one of my theories since we started here is that all pastoring happens in the context. But you can only be the pastor you're you can be mm-hmm. right. I'm never going to be the motivational speaker. I'm not, I was trained as a teacher. That's all I'm ever going to be able to be as a teacher. And so I think, and I was thinking about this yesterday for, for churches, I, for leadership groups. Like if we're going to take a stand or if we're going to sort of draw this line and say, I'm not going to be a CEO as a pastor, then how are we going to help our church leadership teams both hold us accountable as pastors, which I think they have an important role to do, but also help us move forward on that same idea. So I'm asking my, so one of the things that we thought, like I've always, I've always thought of Jesus as prophet, pastor, and teacher. What does it look like if your community has somebody who's doing one of those roles, but you're not that right. So I'm, I, I'm not normally the guy that makes people sort of feel better. That's just not the way I operate. You do that really well between the two of them. So between the two of them, we balance out and, and how to just, how to own those roles is, is the passion you are. So on, neither one of us are super, super driven, super, or not driven, but super organized. Right. So we've had people on our leadership team who are super organized because they can do the job that we're right. just not, not that we couldn't do, we're not going to do. You know, I mean, we like to use, you know, in, in the 21st century church, like business kind of model, yeah, yeah. You know, those analogies. But I mean, go back to Paul's, it's the body. Right. right, right what right, good right. is a body without an arm? Right. Uh, and so there are different parts. And that's why I love right. working with Josh. We're old friends, but like, he, you know, he, he, the way that he preaches, only he can do that. I can't sure. do that. I can't be, you know, neither of us can be Tim Keller, who's a part of our little family of churches. Right. We love Tim Keller. We, we tried to do his, we couldn't do his thing. Right, right, right. Uh, and, and I can do music. Now, I can't play organ. Right. I would love to play the organ. Right. I wasn't schooled in organ. I can play I can get folk you rock. That's I know, it. You know? I can get you 
uh, I'm terrible at like trying to learn. I'm not very disciplined about mm. my stuff. So I really just have the capacity to do what mm. I have the capacity right. to do. I think that's right. You know, and I, and I can't. There's certain things I can and cannot do. Can I grow a little bit? Yeah. Yeah. And I want to always be growing and advancing, but we will never. You know, I can't. Um, we have some horn players, and I'd love to have them play horns. I would love them to come, but they're going to have to write their parts. Like, like we have some, you know, violin players and flute players, and they they can. It's sort of a folk improvisation. Yeah, really, yeah. is what we're doing. It's a simple chords. But if you're looking for me to write horn parts, I could probably do it. <laughs> it would take. 60 hours, hours and <laughs> right. it would be one eighth as good of what right. somebody who knew what they were doing could do. Right. Um, and so you gotta go, is that cost benefit? Like would it, would it add enough? I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, right. but there's certain things that we just don't have the capacity to do. We obviously want to grow, um, you know, but that body analogy is helpful because like I can't arrange horns. Well, I'll pray that somebody can, somebody can they, right. they're grafted into the body. Right. right? And, because that's not the I part think, that I can play. And this is my my question has been: Are we just now seeing this because because we're on the inside of ministry, we're seeing how the sausage gets made now? Or is this in the sausage gets made? You haven't heard that phrase. <laughs> <laughs> you ever heard the phrase? Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> it's, yeah, I never want to watch out the hot dog or the sausage. It's a common thing. Like the idea is, is if is if people eat sausage, but right. if you had to see how it gets made, you never yeah, eat it. Oh, it's gross. gotcha. Because that's like like that's yeah. yeah, like that Snoop Dogg video. Have you seen this? Oh, Snoop watches oh, how hot dogs are made. You yes, have to guess what it is. Yes. Oh, Snoop Dogg want... narrating anything. It's fantastic. But, <laughs> but the idea would be, I, I didn't grow up thinking ministers were looking to other parts of the body to, to farm out their weaknesses. I grew up that ministers were strong and powerful leaders who might have subordinates. Right. Do you think our children will be like all the pastor's kids that we know? Because I know, you know, the typical pastor's kids. Uh, Most, like, your kids are But I feel like my kids will be kids. cool. Your kids aren't typical pastor's kids. I don't feel like my kids, maybe they are, and we just don't know it. Well, I, I, it, it sunk in over the years that, like, you do not want to wreck your family. Right, right. On the rocks of ministry. And, right. Um, and, and maybe that's, and if it's an overcorrective, that's probably okay. Yeah, right. Yeah, because that was mine. The first guy I worked with, he always said, um... Hey, your family doesn't count. It is not second. To and I think that we've benefited from those who have gone before who have screwed it up, wrecked yeah. their kids. And so, like that warning has come through loud and clear yeah. um, from other ministry leaders who have gone before. And I'm super grateful yeah. for that yeah. because it. And, and I'm so grateful for our church and our family. Our nobody in our church says to my kids like, "Don't do that because you're the pastor's kid." Right? 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 They may say, "Don't do that because." You shouldn't do, you that. Should but, do that, but like not like you're Don't held your to it. Not like you're held to a higher standard, <laughs> right? Right. Because that was it. That's what ruined kid. it. My my one of my best friends growing up was the pastor's kid, and I hung out with this dude, and we surfed together every day, and I never once talked to his dad except for yes sir, no sir. You know, I saw him at church. How's it going? Or I'd call and be like, "Can I talk to your son, please?" Because he was like way up there, and his kids were expected to be perfect. And he was like the worst dude I ever met. But I didn't appreciate this at the time. But one of the first churches, the first church I worked full time at, the pastor. One time, at like a church dinner, he was uh, on his hands and knees on the gym floor with like kids climbing all over him, right. laughing and giggling, and like on the floor with the kids. Yeah. And I didn't appreciate that at the time, but now I look back and I was like, that is the kind of pastor yeah. well, it's a perfect that you analogy. want yeah. to have as leading your church. Like, right. let the children come to me. Right. Kind right. Of stuff, right. You know? um, no, I... Yeah, it's the perfect analogy, I think, for what... I'm, I don't know. I'm trying to form... Because I... You know, I, I think about my kids and God all the time. Like, 
And no matter, even if I push back against it, my kids are automatically going to default to Jesus and default to the things that I say. And even with my oldest son, I, who's 12 now, I'll try to be like, hey, you know, do you ever have doubts? Do you ever have, do you ever think, hey, maybe this isn't all, like, I'm trying to really, like, hey, let's talk about this. It's totally okay. And he's like, no, why would I have those? And I'm like, all right, I guess that's good. And, but I'm always, at some point, you're going to rebel. Do you rebel against this? Um, but then again, I, I didn't have that. But I don't know. I always think, and I know we're not really talking about children here, but uh, since we all three have kids, I think about it. that's one of my biggest things is, oh, how are my kids going to interpret Jesus or God when I'm not around or when they're older? All or, three of us are, all three of us are talented and competent enough that if, if the church rat right now fell apart, we could go get other gigs in the ministry. Right. In ministry. Like there's some other church right now that will, that will abuse our time. I'm going to have to like hide my Facebook and, feed. Right, right. But there's a, there, there, it's not like there's delete, a... Delete, delete. I've never done gay weddings. <laughs> what? No. It's like there's a shortage of ministry jobs, but... But it's cliche. But my family, my family is the one. Sh- I got one shot at this, and mm-hmm. so if I had to choose between church and family, that's kind of the ch- it's easy to choose church. And the flip side of that is like on Sundays, Lucas, my youngest, gets real mad because I won't go play Pokemon Go with him, right? And I multiple times like, but I'm at work. You don't show up in mom's law office and say, "Hey, do you want to play Pokemon Go?" Right. Like that would never happen. No. I work at a coffee shop. That's what my kids say. I'm like, yeah. well, I also work at a church. Oh yeah, yeah. They that, don't know. My kids right. don't know what to make sense of the idea of working at a church, which I think is good. They don't yeah. think of it as a well, and as a business. Church isn't a. I feel like it would be different if we had a building. They would think, okay, that's where you go to work. Right. But because we're we don't. But that's another good thing I like about communal sort of church doing is that uh my kids are best friends with all the kids in their church and they see their dads or their family how they interpret christianity or how they pray or this maybe the things the rituals that they do and yeah, i, I call like that the cloud them. of witnesses effect yeah. a number of years ago i read that book essential church and i didn't really realize what the book was about when i read it but it had a lot to do with like young people yeah. and the, one of the things the thing in there that has stuck with me that just gobsmacked me was that they measured for kids' stickiness long-term, and they found that if a kid grows up in the church and zero adults know their name, 90% chance they're gone. Interesting. One yeah, adult, that, that goes to 80. Two, 70. Three, 60. Yeah. And so on. When you get to nine or more adults, there's only a 10% chance they leave, 90% chance they stick. Mm. All they were measuring for was adults that knew a kid's name. Interesting. So... That sense. totally retooled how I did youth ministry. Because instead of like having one adult care for one yep. kid, no, you need like a dozen adults who out. know that kid who can walk up to him like you would a friend on a Sunday morning and say, I know you by name. How are you? And have a conversation right. with them. And that has a buoying effect, right? That holds you up, holds kids up. We said the same effect when, in, when I was a public school teacher that the number one indicator of whether a kid was going to be successful was if they had an adult outside their family that cared about them. Hmm. If they knew, and so they, what, they, what they said to us as teachers is, you may be the only adult in that kid's life that cares about these kids, mm-hmm. care about them more than you care about the assignments you're giving them, care about them more than you care about their, than the standardized test, which was double speak, right? Because if they don't do all the standardized tests, you're going to lose your job. <laughs> Get your test scores up, right? But, you but the, cheat. Right. <laughs> but I read economics. But at least they said it. But at least they <laughs> said it in a way, and it was expect, expected at that school, your job is to care about kids. Um, that's what we did, and so that might that just changed the way you you approached it, and um, and so much of that so much of that training has gone into how I do ministry anyway. You know, something else I think that's different about how we pastor now is that, and this is no shocker to anybody, is that the world in general, the Western world, has become 
less Christian, right? Like Post Christian, right? right, right. Oh, that was the um, past week. And it, I mean, it, really, the only place where Christianity isn't growing and that's, is among the Western white people, right? right, right. And Tim, Tim of, Keller makes the joke that there's more Presbyterians in Ghana than in the United States and Scotland combined. So, mm. you know, the, the global. The global south and east is where the growing edge of Christianity is. So it's really, we're just the ones in sort of demographic winter. And so what that means is, you know, we can't, when we're speaking, we can't say, oh, you know, like the story of Cain and Abel. Or like, oh, you know, know, assuming things about people. You know, when Jesus said this, don't say you know, know, because you don't, they don't know. And it's awesome. I love it. Right. And when I hear, people come to it with a fresh perspective. Because that's... You know, in my role right now in my life, I feel like I have so many friends who, what I would call friends, who I really like who are atheists. Uh, one lady even told me she's anti-theist. And I was like, really? You're anti, like, 90% of the world? Like, anyways. <laughs> you got it all figured out. She didn't say that. And my other atheist friends, like, that's the dumbest thing I ever heard. Um, <laughs> but where I will define a biblical thought or define what I think is Christian. And they all say the same thing. We're like, well, you're not Christian. Like you're something different. And I'm like, no, I am talking about <laughs> Jesus. Yes, I am. And because I, so when I hear America's post-Christian, I think that's good because it's post this, uh, you know, I, I'm a Republican or I'm this, or I have these thoughts or I, oh, just because I'm Christian, I default to these ideas or, or, you know, a lot of times sure. people Put yeah, it's, it's, it or something it's like. great for the purity of the church, right? Right, right? Because right now, if you don't believe it, you go jogging or you go to brunch with all the other perfect people on Sunday morning. The people who actually show up are the ones who are hungry for it and actually buy it. Right. And I think in, that's for the purity of the church, for people who are... So the people that are there are the ones who are actually in, right? They actually... Generally, yeah. you know, Generally, yeah. yeah. And I think we're still in, in a transition period. Right, I don't yeah, think absolutely. it's fully... Yeah, but over time, it's going to be, there's not going to be any sort of like generally socially viable reason that you would go to church unless you actually buy it and you're trying to C.S. Lewis said this for him because it's happened two generations ago in England. I last summer, uh, this this happens to me twice a year. Last year, I skipped church to go to a Bengals game and my former youth kids were tailgating. So I went down at like 9 a.m. and I'm I'm drinking beer and I'm playing games. There's music and people are having fun. I'm like, this is this is great. This is what you guys do every Sunday? <laughs> this is awesome. I would rather do this every Sunday than go set up church. And this is so because they had they had everything that church gives except Jesus. They had community. They had food. They had music. They had ritual. They had all the things that I really, really yeah. like about church without Jesus. And I thought, well, no wonder this is alluring. And you get everything but right. Jesus. And you get this. the celebration and the joy. I mean, yeah. so many churches are far more concerned with being cool. Right. Than they are with being warm, you know, making that distinction. Like, right. you know, well, we're cool. And so we're going to put on this show or this thing. We're cold. You yeah. know, cool is very close to cold. Whereas, like, you go down to tailgate, everybody's welcome. Come on, Come on in. in. Well, right. Warmth. Drinks beer. Warmth and connection. We and, you know, got language. food and community. And yeah. you're automatically belong before you believe. Yeah. Right. Or whatever. And that's the kind of atmosphere of celebration and joy that the church ought to have. Yep. There ought to be a buzz that people actually like each other and yeah. want to be there. Right. That's what you hope to do. If you walk into a cool, cold place, it may be a, a fantastic presentation, right. but it's not the tailgating. Right. It's not the feast. Well, right? and if the presentation or the show is the thing that got you to come back, as soon as the presentation or the show slips, which it inevitably will, you will be, it will be easy to leave. Yeah, it's and easy that's to like choose the, something else. That's like the, I call it the tyranny of the novel, 
You know, like right. you're sort of like, well, what what What's can new? be more sensational? What's what new? can we do next week? You know, there's that old principle, the regulative, the regulative principle. Uh, you know, where you only do in worship what the Bible says to do. Um, you know, you're not saying like, well, we need this or this, 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 all these list of things that are more sensational yeah. so that we can, you know, the next hit, the next buzz, right, right. you sort of create that. It's kind of thing. When you think about dude, sure, like churches that do that really well, they either have gigantic structures that, that feed that up. Like the, the mega church in our community right. has a gigantic creative team structure that does a nice job of constantly feeding things to the top. We just keep well, and the people who do that, those are real gifts that they yeah. have, right? People who are creatives. And I, I, although I'm a musician, I'm not a tremendous musician. I wouldn't even necessarily put myself in that category. I, um, I feel like every musician says that. Every musician says that. Every musician says that. <laughs> just like every artist is like, oh, I'm not that good. But, but creatives, uh, th- that's... That they thrive on that, right? right? And there needs to be an outlet for that in the church. Right. I'm not sure what that is. For us, we don't have the capacity to do some of those things right. in worship. Right. Um, it, there's this uh, great book that we've been influenced by lately. James K. A. Smith wrote this book, You Are What You Love. It kind of riffs off this old Augustinian idea that before we are thinking things, we are feeling and loving things, mm. right? We love before we think. So for the longest time, it's been like, well, you, you have this worldview and what you believe then determines how you live. But often how we live determines what we believe, right? right, right. right? So you, you start to create these systems of thought and beliefs based on the things that I want to do and the things that I love. And so even our um, forms of worship can work on us precognitively. Tom and Joni Schultz used to call that the hidden curriculum in their book. It's called like, Why Nobody Learns Anything Church in Church and How to Fix hmm. That. I can't remember what it's called. Back from like the seventies or eighties, right, right. But it's that hidden curriculum. What are you picking up? Yeah. yeah. Um, what are you picking up that you don't even realize that the church is teaching? You? Right. And and some of that is like, well, if the novel is held up as the highest thing, right. Then we're always going to be looking for the novel, even in other things in our life, like the novel time reading scripture. We're right. going to be looking for something we've never seen right. before. Problem is, if you, once you've read the Bible, you've read, it. you've read it, and like, yes, you come back to it, and it's new every morning, new mercies, but if you're always looking for that novel thing, yeah. you, you sort of, you almost become like a Gnostic. <laughs> it's, it's Set like the bar low, Gnosticism man. of like this <laughs> new experience, right. you know, or this new thing in prayer, rather than turning to the old means of grace, right. the Lord's Supper, yeah. reading Bible, and prayer, like, and so Smith talks about counter-formative liturgies, you know, he says liturgies as like orders things that we do he uses like the stadium and tailgating as one you go to the stadium there is stuff that there's pat you know you stand for the national anthem everyone's got the colors on there's you know rituals that bengals you do the chant touchdown yeah. bengals put some point upon the board you know there's these there's these habits and things that you do every and, week and you can and they're train inculturated. you can train seventy five thousand people to do something. I thought, I thought this summer when I was, when we saw Guns N' Roses, the 56,000 people at the concert, when, when Axl Rose stood up and clapped, everybody clapped on his beat, right? Yeah. What other environment could you get 56,000 people in this country right now to do the exact same thing because they were told to do it? It's an amazing, because you couldn't, right? It's the most divided that people argue about everything. People don't like to be told to do. They're individualistic. They're, it is possible if the thing is good enough. Mm-hmm. to get people it to captures agree. our affections right. to use the old word right. Jonathan Edwards and the old guys they would use the, you know we, we are affect, affective creatures we love before we think sure. you know and certainly 
certainly it is important to learn and to, to shape our mind, and that can affect what we believe. But oftentimes, you know, how we're behaving really yeah. affects what we believe. And so the, those formative practices, you know, even showing up, coming to the table every week. Right. Um, you know, we, we started doing that about four years ago, having the Lord's Supper every week. And I'd never done that before in my entire life growing up in the church. 35 years, never had yeah. the Lord's Supper every week. Now I can't imagine yeah. not doing it. And again, I don't think churches that aren't doing it are, sure. you know, yeah. in sin or wrong or, or but now, <laughs> so judgmental, Brian. now I can't imagine for us, for us not having it. It is, you know, there's so much talk about multi-sensory worship and those kinds of things. Come eat, taste, right. drink, you is know, it, like, but isn't what you just said where the biggest part, I think the biggest area where ministry has changed because what you just said is this is what, this is what works for us. You're not laying out a, a model of ministry that everybody has to follow everywhere at all times yeah. to be right. I have no interest in challenging your tradition at all. And I, my, my guess is if you submit to that tradition, that's part of your tradition, then you willingly have chosen to Because you don't have to. You could, there's, a, mm-hmm. there's a billion traditions in Christianity. You well, and there's to. other stuff I could be doing that I choose not to because of the limiting of the community and the polity yeah. with which you're in. Right? At some point you go, this the, these, these are the boundaries yeah. Whether I created them or not, I'm going to submit to the brethren because there's something good about that. There's something good about saying, well, this is how we, this is the way that we do things here right. as we're going to do it. Not totally prescriptive that everyone has to do this, right. but this, you know, is something that I'm submitting to because it's that's my, where we're at. That's what my hopeful, my hopeful battle cry for ministry is this idea that my Baptist friends can worship one way, my Church of Christ friends can worship can express their Christian, and I've actually gone far enough, and I know this puts me outside a lot, to say, even even to the point where those things are contradictory, I think that it's okay sometimes. I think I, we all have our limits, but I think it's okay for for one church to say uh, communion once a month, for one church to say communion four times, for one or church to even say bigger things, for one church to ritual. say no to gay marriage, for one church to say yes to gay marriage, because. My question will always be is, are those churches listening to the Holy Spirit, being guided by scriptures and by elders? And if the answer is yes to those sort of three things, and they come to a different conclusion, then then Jesus will square up at the end, right? At the end of the day... Yeah, that's kind of what the Apostle Paul says. If any of you think differently, pray about it and pray that the Lord reveals it right. to them. And so everybody's sort of along that path. The difficulty for me is when you, is it tends to be that the ones who are... Um, I don't know how you say it. The ones who, who draw the circle tighter right, right, are the right. ones who mm-hmm. who push people out. Sure. Uh, and that then becomes that point of like breaking fellowship. Right, right. And, and so that becomes, and the only thing that I think to bre- breach that is relationships right. really across those so-called lines. You know, you say, well, you know, we have some folks who join from a particular tradition and their old tradition says, well, now that you've gone away from our particular right, right, right. You're tradition, not, you're out. Right. You know, you can't come to the table anymore. You can't, and, and it's our, kind of like our seminary would have told me that I had to be rebaptized. Yeah, I never understood that. One. So I'm, I'm oh a, yeah, that, so I'm a unregenerate <laughs> believer somehow. Like, oh, I, but, I, but, fair enough. <laughs> when they looked at me, they thought that one before they knew the baptism. Anyway, like that was a they knew that before I told them I'd been only. Well, that's the yeah, same point. seminary that. And that, I think they've evolved out of this a little bit, but they would believe that if. Uh, you know, you decided to be baptized and you're walking to and you slip and fall and die and you didn't get dunked, you're probably not making it, man. Like, so, that's a, uh, it's funny as we get into things we talk about, especially like our, our top level of children are starting to think about things like baptism and things like that. And I, because of my 
upbringing have real big stigmas about it where I'm like, oh, because it was such a horrible place where, like, it was so judgmental and lines were drawn, people were in and out. I'm like, oh, I'm really, like, and then everyone else is like, well, why wouldn't we just talk to him about it? I'm like, yeah, I need to let go of these things because uh, I have a lot of baggage with it. Uh, I, we probably should wrap up. Yeah. Uh, if you want to go to a church that's probably cooler than ours, you probably get more out of. You should go warmer. to. Warmer. Hopefully, we're warm. warm. <laughs> Hopefully we're warm. <laughs> Ew, let's see. Not uh, warmer. Warm. Equally uh, warm. Equally <laughs> warm. Uh, you should definitely check out New City Presbyterian New Church. City Although we just Josh and I both just turned forty, so cool is kind of right. 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 Yeah, we're, we're, we're dads what? and we're forty. It, I had cool a, has sailed. I had a. I had a. I had our advisor at seminary tell me, because I was in seminary, Brian and I went to seminary together, um, at 35, he's like, you've got to make your move now if you want to be successful in ministry, because by 40, it's too late. And I was like, what do you mean? I, said, I hope I'm, I'm getting better. I said, I pl- Aging like well, bourbon here. I planted a church that's working, and people are coming to know Jesus. Like, aren't I already successful? Like, no, no. Like, to go preach at a mega church to really be successful, I'm like... But I, what if I don't want that? And his eyes crossed. Like, he, he couldn't who, who understand. Who wouldn't want that, right? Yeah, that's but the thing. People are like, why would It's too late. That? So, new well, I mean, I, fr- I frequently am getting the, well, what are you going to do? What's what are you going to do next? When do you want your own church or whatever? And it's like, well, I have my own church. Right? <laughs> what? You own church? Well, that's my what? biggest disconnect with things. I want to do when this alone. <laughs> I'm like, right. I like doing this with my friends. There's been times where maybe there's job offers or something like that, but I'm like, I could not not be at our church unless I wanted to tell everyone who I'm super close with to go screw yourself. Well, <laughs> go screw yourself. I'm going for something else. Like, paid well because we've right? developed <laughs> such a deep community. Everyone's got a price. How, right? how, price? how, how much do you got to get paid for you tell your friends? I mean, yeah, it's a deep off. community where I'd have to be like, yeah, everything I said, yeah, just whatever. I'm out, man. They're paying me. Like, Never mind. It's hard. Yeah. And that's where, going back to the beginning, that probably it's better just to be cold and not have relationships and then you can do whatever you want. Because then you can move on. Right? I'm out. Oh, that guy left. Yeah, that was sad. He like, it's it's nice. It's cool. much more of a career track than it is a lifestyle. Right. Know, for real. It's fear. Yeah. It's, uh, it's tough. Well, hey, thank you so much for your time. Yeah. Thank you, guys. Uh, you should totally like rate us and like us. Those are things we're supposed to say, right? Um, I just I just put a video of us recording live on what? the Bachelor Pass. We're so fancy. Facebook uh, site. Anyways, thanks for a lot for listening. People. The band's going to play us out. Thanks. Jesus.